0: This is the Business of College Sports Podcast with your host, the founder of businessofcollegesports.com, Christy Dosh. Find her on Twitter and Instagram at Sports Biz Miss.
1: Welcome to the Business of College Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Dosh, the Sports Biz Miss, and I'm happy to be back again with you here this week. Whether you're a returning listener or a new listener, I just want you to know how very grateful I am for you and that you are spending this time with me. Today, I have a guest from the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, the ITA. They are the governing body of college tennis. They oversee both men's and women's varsity tennis at all levels, in NCAA Division 1, 2, II, and 3, NAIA, and Junior and Community College. And I was lucky enough to be able to snag their CEO, Tim Russell, to come on and talk about the strength and the health of college tennis, but particularly the number of college tennis programs that we've seen cut during the pandemic. Based on my database and what I've been tracking, it looks like 45 men's and women's programs have been cut across the three divisions of the NCAA and then also NAIA and the junior community college level. And actually, I had to re-record this intro because Tim and I recorded about 11 days ago, and when we recorded, there were 28 men's and women's programs that had been cut. Now that's 45. Um, so obviously, tennis is being really impacted by the cuts happening around the country. So I wanted to talk to Tim about why perhaps we're seeing tennis be impacted more than other sports and what some of the factors might be that are going into the decisions that schools are making when it comes to cutting tennis in particular. So we talked about all sorts of other things around college tennis, things before the pandemic, after the pandemic, Everything you might ever want to know about the state of college tennis. We even veered off a little bit into name, image, and likeness and how he thinks NIL rights might impact Olympic sports programs. And I just learned so much about college tennis during this episode. And I hope that you feel the same way when you listen to it. So without further ado, I give you my interview with ITA's CEO, Tim Russell. Hi, Tim. Thanks so much for joining us. We're excited to have you today and to talk a little college tennis.
0: Well, I'm delighted to be here.
1: So I wanted to start out in case some of our listeners aren't familiar with your organization. Tell us a little bit about the ITA and what your mission is.
0: Great. So the ITA is the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, and we're the governing body of of college tennis. So there are 1,200 schools that are members. We have 1,700 programs in all five divisions. So that's division one, two, and three in the NCAA, NAIA, and then junior college. Uh, We have about 1,700 head coaches, uh, 3,000 total coaches if we're counting uh, associate uh, coaches, assistant coaches. Uh, We're in charge of everything from the rules and rankings for college tennis uh, to coach education, uh, community engagement. We put on a coaches convention. Uh, We're uh, governed by a board of directors and a series of five operating committees. So founded in 1956 and a long history of serving and growing uh, college tennis
1: it sounds like you all definitely have a close relationship with all the coaches around college tennis. What it, what is your relationship like with the NCAA or, the, or NAIA? How does that work?
0: So, if you think of a triangle, uh, all the sports basically have a national governing body. So, in the world of tennis, that would be the United States Tennis Association. Mm-hmm. So, you think of the USTA as the group that actually runs the u.s open Uh, most sports have a coaches association which would be the ita and then the ncaa is the governing body of college sports so when all the sports uh, are functioning at their best uh, that triangle i think is is all well connected Mm -hmm. so we have a great relationship with the usta and with the uh, ncaa so for example the ita runs a lot of championships in the fall But the college uh, NCAA championship is run by the NCAA, and then obviously the NAI would run their own championship as well. So we're one of three uh, legs in a three legged stool, if you will.
1: (laughs) I'll I'll call it all tennis all the time. I told you before we started recording, um, uh, but haven't told the rest of the audience, I spent a summer in law school working at the WTA and uh, can play tennis well enough to like go hit around a ball with a friend. And so I have a special place in my heart for tennis and uh, was excited to talk to you because for our returning listeners, I recently spoke to someone from College Hockey Inc. and we were talking about what his organization does to grow hockey at the collegiate level. Obviously there aren't nearly as many uh, men's ice hockey programs around the country as there are men's and women's tennis programs. And so we were talking a lot about the growth model um, and those sort of efforts. What is that like for you all? Because obviously there are a lot more college tennis programs. How involved are you on the growth side and adding programs?
0: Well, so we're always interested in adding programs. And up until uh, COVID-19 struck, uh, in the five years that I've been the uh, CEO of the ITA, we've actually had a net gain in tennis programs. Tennis obviously has a very long uh, tradition, a rich and deep tradition. history always happy when schools add programs Mm -hmm. the ita is obviously supportive of that but those kind of decisions whether it's adding programs or dropping programs are made at the individual institutional level so we're happy to work with schools that are considering adding tennis Uh, one of the best recent examples for example was arizona state university that had had a long history of uh, Of men's tennis and then back during the recession of 2008 it actually dropped tennis and uh, uh, four years ago uh, ray anderson the athletic director at asu who's a very forward-thinking visionary uh, athletic director decided to add men's tennis back not only did he add it but he and his wife buffy actually contributed a million dollars to bring back men's tennis. So uh, the decisions are made institutionally, but uh, we're always happy to help uh, any way we can.
1: Well, and I think uh, ASU was actually one of the schools we talked about with College Hockey, Inc., because I think they also added men's ice hockey, and we were talking about how receptive they had been to adding a program and how successful it had been so far. So uh, obviously out at ASU, they, they're doing some things right when it comes to adding programs, it sounds like.
0: No, for for, for sure. But that actually gets to kind of a philosophy of an athletic department. Uh, You know, uh, that's been one of the things that's been great interest in in recent months. You know, how many programs does it take to actually constitute a sponsored D1 athletic program? And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Ray Anderson's believed in adding sports. I believe he has 28 sports at ASU. A guy like Bubba Cunningham, I think, has 29 Mm -hmm. at... uh, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, but there are schools in the Pac-12 that might have 18 or 19. Uh, So Ray is on the forefront of trying to add sports. And when you talked about hockey, for example, within three years of moving from a club sport to a varsity hockey team, they were in the round of 16 of the NCAA's uh, National Hockey Tournament.
1: Yeah and you know unfortunately the reason that I you know looked you up and asked you would you please come on the show today was because I've been tracking who's cutting programs during the pandemic and it occurred to me that I felt like as I was filling out my little excel spreadsheet that I was typing tennis more times than I was other sports and so I'm curious if you have any insight into why tennis has maybe been a sport that has been cut more than other sports during this time.
0: Happy to take a shot at it and uh, uh, give my best insight. The ITA has had a protocol since I've been the CEO of my trying to always connect at the highest level of an institution that uh, cuts tennis. Sometimes I can get all the way up to the president, often mm-hmm. a vice president, usually the athletic director. And there's a series of, of uh, decisions that are made. Some of them actually don't make... Uh, a lot of sense to me for example there was a d2 program where they cut the men's and women's team was part of five uh, programs cut at saint edwards university and that's in austin texas mm-hmm. their men's team was ranked sixth in the uh, ita rankings so it was just getting ready to be invited to our team indoors the women's team last year made the ncaa they had very small budgets and quite honestly using a model where a number of the team members pay tuition, I actually thought it was a a poor decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, They cut six sports. They've got a a president who's near retirement. Uh, Everybody has to make their own decisions when there's an economic crisis. So tennis was one of six sports cut. We worked with both the men's and women's coached uh, as they were trying to raise money to save the program. We were not successful, but these are individual decisions. So uh, some people have told me that they've cut tennis because it's one of the smaller sports where they have fewer student athletes impacted. Mm -hmm. I've been arguing for years that uh, with things like the Director's Cup, tennis is a way to actually do very well you, you, you need about eight players. I'll give a good example. At Ohio State men's tennis, they had a coach who'd been there for many, many years. It was, you know, a good program, but not particularly distinguished. They hired a truly fantastic coach in uh, Ty Tucker. And for the last 18 years, they've been in the NCAA championship and uh, they've been to the semifinals, the finals. Uh, so I would argue that a small team actually, uh, is a plus some people have said well it, it impacts fewer student athletes. Another answer has been that tennis for some schools in some locations needs an indoor facility mm-hmm. so sometimes the cost for the indoor facility have gone up sometimes the indoor facility has uh, gotten rid of their tennis courts for example and turned it more into a to a to a gym uh, sometimes this, the programs just haven 't been very good. Uh, on the positive side, I will tell you that the ITA has published our health index, which actually helps our coaches know if their programs are healthy. So there's about 30 items. They include things like how well is your team done on the court? So what has your record mm-hmm. been? Have you uh, won your conference? Have you gotten to the NCAA uh, tournament? Have you had all Americans? We ask people how uh, uh, well-connected are you are uh, in the community? Do you serve underserved youth? Do you serve uh, uh, senior citizens? How well are your matches attended? Do you have an alumni association? So there's different reasons. Sometimes the programs haven't done very well on the court. Sometimes their uh, the programs haven't been embedded in the community. We have found historically that Tennis players are are good students, Uh, they're usually model citizens, so tennis usually is a good story to tell, but ADs have occasionally said their teams aren't very good. Occasionally, sadly, an entire conference has fallen under the minimums for getting a guaranteed automatic bid to the NCAA, so once a couple schools cancel in a conference, the rest of them uh, cancel, so there's not one answer Christy, but it's yeah. ultimately a decision made by an athletic director in consultation with the leadership at a school.
1: Yeah. And I know there's so many factors that get considered. And in my consulting work, I've been in on some of those conversations for adding or for cutting sports. And I know, I remember years ago, I did an interview um, with a former wrestling coach and we were talking about the health of college wrestling and how many programs have been cut over the years. And he was talking about, you know, how low the costs are for wrestling. Like you just got to invest in some mats. And I remember having this conversation about, you know, it's a relatively cheap sport to sponsor. And so, you know, as I look, at sports that are getting cut I sort of asked myself okay what kind of facilities do they have to have how big is the roster you know when you're having to travel people you know how do all those different expenses lay out and I, I think you did a really nice job of, of talking about all of the different factors that might come into play for tennis and why it might you know be a burden but why it might also be a great sport to have so it probably just you know depends on the individual institution and their their history with the program and how it's doing but um, you know, I, because I don't know college tennis as well as I would like to, I kept racking my brain and thinking, what am I missing about tennis? Why is tennis getting cut more than everybody else? Like there's gotta be this like secret that I'm missing, but it sounds like that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot
0: of factors. Yeah. I mean, uh, you talked about hockey, you talked about wrestling. There's a group that's, called the ICAC, which is the Intercollegiate Coaches Association Coalition, and we've been having a lot of discussions, so there's obviously been a lot of, uh, of conversations, and, you know, one of the things I'd like to say is over the five years that I've been the CEO, up until COVID-19 hit, we've actually had a, a net gain in tennis programs, mm-hmm. and it's just been over the last, you know, six to eight weeks where we have lost... Uh, programs. To your point about even things like budget, I had referenced, for example, that St. Edwards had relatively low budget costs. But just so people know, at the big Power Five schools, we actually do have, uh, you know, a, a lot of the programs in the Pac-12, uh, Big 12, ACC, SEC, and Big Ten that have, you know, million dollar men's and women's tennis programs. I think we even have a couple that are a million and a half. So the interesting thing is that where the budgets have been the biggest in the Power Five uh, conferences, those schools have have not been the ones actually canceling their tennis programs, which is why some of the cancellations have been so, so curious.
1: When it became apparent to you that schools, just in general, were going to start cutting sports as we got into the pandemic and we realized uh, you know, the, the cuts departments were going to take from the NCAA distributions and not knowing what football season is going to look like and that sort of thing, were you concerned right away that tennis was going to be a sport that was going to be on the chopping block as often as it had been, or was that a little bit of a surprise for you?
0: Well, we've worked very hard, actually, to strengthen college tennis. As I said, up until COVID-19, I think college tennis had never been stronger. Incredible parity, lots of great teams, men's and women's teams, both being strong. But early on, when the pandemic was hitting, actually, a guy named Steve Dittmore wrote a piece for athletic director U, where he postulated that Olympic sports might be on the... Uh, on the chopping block and I Mm -hmm. quickly wrote a fairly extended response to that which uh, actually your listeners could find on the itatennis.com website and maybe you can post the link uh, there. So the the, the short answer is that very early on I think all of us were concerned. The next big thing that happened was the group of five commissioners not the power five but the group of five commissioners actually put forward uh, some possible uh, waiver legislation to the ncaa where they actually considered the idea of lowering the number of sponsored sports that would be required to be a division one Mm -hmm. athletic program and very quickly it was not only tennis but this entire group the icac got together and we lobbied against that uh, and actually, the NCAA actually rejected that notion. So, all of the executive directors and CEOs like myself have been worried whether it's been volleyball, whether it's been hockey, wrestling, yeah. etc. And it's one of the reasons that I was proactive in writing the piece. The other kind of thing, back to your question about the U- USDA and NCAA, our partners at the USDA and the ITA put together a one page PDF that we sent to all of our coaches and all the ADs talking about the benefits of a college tennis program. So we got very quickly proactive in trying to make sure to tell the story so that uh, uh, as best as we were able, we were you know discouraging people from cutting uh, right. tennis. And while we're discouraged that some have been cut, we still have a very large number, as you referenced, if we compare ourselves to swimming or gymnastics. You know, to have 1,700 programs, we're still, you know, strong. So while we have, you know, taken a good hit, a number of other sports have taken hits as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What kind of role do you play? You know, I followed University of Alabama Huntsville because I had just had the gentleman on from College Hockey Inc. And within hours of us recording, they cut the the hockey program in Huntsville. And so then he and I were chatting again about what they were going to do in that situation. And now that hockey program has raised enough money to save itself. And so they also gave the opportunity for the men's and women's tennis programs that were cut there to save themselves. What kind of role do you play when there's a situation like that, where a program has been cut or is on the chopping block, but has the opportunity to fundraise to save itself?
0: Yeah, great, great question. Uh, And and so we try to play as active a role as the coaches would like us to. Mm -hmm. We obviously aren't going to butt in where we're not asked, but usually we are asked. And one of the first things I actually do is write to the to the president, to the vice president, to the AD. And then, you know, our coaches are not, you know, full-time fundraisers. Part of their job in this day and age is to be a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that we did at our ITA coaches convention last year, obviously pre-coronavirus, we actually had an entire session where we had about 150 of our coaches there. We talked about fundraising. One of the best pieces of advice we can give to a school is to actually have your program endowed. So -hmm. if you look at Stanford Athletics, for example, I think most of their 32 or 36 sports are actually endowed. That can't always happen at a uh, smaller school or with a less experienced coach. But we actually have a lot of coaches who've raised a lot of money, whether it's Vince Westbrook at Tulsa who's probably raised thirty or forty million dollars, or a guy like Peter Wright at at Cal Berkeley or or Billy Pate at, at Princeton. But we have a lot of less experienced coaches. And the challenge in these situations that you referenced, Christy, is that they're usually very short term. So for example, the president might say, You have, you know, 30 days to raise a million dollars. Right. And and so it can be tricky for a you know, a young coach who might only be there for the first or second year who hasn't even raised their first, you know, $20,000. But I've raised a lot of money in my earlier life as a, an orchestra conductor, and I've raised money for the ITA. So we clearly try to, you know, share our expertise, and we try to work with the coaches and the alums to identify their per- you know their potential biggest givers but this is usually an uphill battle and there have actually been situations where the coaches have raised the money and then they've still canceled the program right so it it can be a a a sticky wicket if you will but uh, we try to be involved but ultimately it's going to be the responsibility of the the coach and the alums which is why we get back to this health index that we've created because we would prefer to be an architect upstream Instead of a plumber downstream, we'd prefer our coaches to be working on this to where they would never actually be, you know, cut. But once they're cut, you know, some of the situations you, you don't really understand, you know, why they were cut, and even when they've come up with the money, they just haven't changed their mind. So yeah, it's not always successful.
1: When I, I'm curious a little more about this health index because I think that's a great idea. If you've got coaches who are looking at that and they realize, wait a second, my program may be in more trouble than I realize it is. Um, You know, what does that look like in terms of them coming to you all for support to improve on the areas where they've, uh, you know, identified major problems?
0: Uh, Another awesome question. Clearly you've done this quite regularly. (laughs) So you you, you make, you make this interview fun, but great, great questions. So in addition to just, um, putting the health index up for them to do self-reflection we actually do have protocols we encourage them if they fall below a level to not only contact us and to get our membership division working with them but we've tried to do things such as assign them uh, a mentor for example Uh, we've tried to actually then ask some follow-up questions we've tried to recommend oh okay under the stuff having to do with community engagement, you haven't been doing any. Have you thought of this or this or that? So we have a series of, of best uh practices Uh, so one we do want them to contact the ita two we usually uh, uh, talk through the various best practices but then uh, what's been highly successful has been uh, a protocol of, of connecting them to a highly successful long-standing coach as a mentor some of the very logical stuff that they're not doing enough is usually even staying in touch with their athletic director, Mm -hmm. with their sports specific administrator. Have they ensured that the president of the university has attended a match? So quite honestly, Christy, if anybody were to see our health index, the way we've asked the questions, the answers should be self-evident. Has your president attended a match? If you answered no, well, you should understand, well, maybe we should do that. Right. Does the AD <laughs> regularly attend your matches? Ooh, no, Better, better do that. Do you have an alumni association? Oops, no, better do that. Do you send out regular fundraising emails? You know, So a lot of our uh, health index is written so the answers are pretty self-evident as to what the prescription is. But if they can't figure it out, we work with them uh, best we can.
1: And I like that idea. You can almost use it as a, as a checklist and I know that you're sort of new to my podcast, but for those who've listened after we record our interview, I sit down and record a business tip for people because in addition to my sports reporting, I run my own company and, um, and I've written books. And so I'll do tips either based on, you know, kind of growing your side hustle and owning your own business or around writing books. And so I always try to listen for like a nugget during the interview that I can use to tie into my business tip. And I made myself a big note here on the sticky pad on my desk that says health index, because I think that there, all of us can look at our businesses and start to break down. And I was even thinking just off the top of my head while you were talking, you know, are you sending, you know, have you built up an email list and are you sending regularly to them? You know, what is your social media presence like? And are you getting good engagement there? Are you getting enough leads in the door? You know, what's your conversion percentage for turning those leads into clients? Like i am already thinking in my head of what a health index would look like just for, um, you know, like a solo entrepreneur who doesn't have a lot of knowledge about running their own business. So you may have inspired me to create my own little business health index for people. So thank you for that idea. I might borrow it. (laughs) Um, One other thing I wanted to ask you, because you obviously have, you know, sort of your finger on the pulse of the coaches, you know, as we've seen programs get cut, um, what kind of conversations are they coming and having with you all? You know, what are their concerns or what are the, some of the more immediate things they are trying to do to ensure that they don't become one of those programs that gets cut?
0: Yeah, so great, great question. Again, so first I can tell you that all of our coaches, even the ones that I don't think are worried about losing their jobs, have used this time to be uh, very reflective. Before I wrote the piece for Athletic Director U, I actually wrote a piece to our 3,000 coaches that kind of from my chair recommended some ways that they might uh, spend their time. And, and one of it was in self-reflection. So for example, one of my favorite uh, little articles, is called Solitary Leadership, and it was uh, uh, an address given at the uh, at, at the army at West Point. Uh, and the premise was that when we think of leaders, we always think of people who are active in doing things. And one of the things that you have to do to be a very successful leader is, you know, to spend a lot of time in reflection on, on what are you going to do as a leader? Where are you leading your group? So I first encouraged our coaches to be reflective. And I can tell you that, Many of them have, and they've not only been self-reflective, a bunch of them have started groups where they're talking together. And uh, in the past, when everything was just going great, you know, they thought, okay, this was going on forever. So even our top coaches are having a bunch of regular Zoom calls. What is the future of our sport going to look like? Mm -hmm. Almost every one of them has been involved at their athletic department asking, you know, what will a 15% cut look like? That's kind of the baseline. And I can tell you that things like travel have been cut. You know, in the world of tennis, it's not probably going to be practical for the Wake Forest men to fly to Tempe, Arizona for a one-off match. We're talking about what more regional play would look like, what mm-hmm. would more cross-divisional play look like from D2 to D1 if we're both sitting in, in Florida. Uh, We've been talking about even a kind of a federated model. What will will more local play uh, look like? So they've been involved with immediate discussions about their budgets at their schools. But I've been very impressed with the fact that at all divisions, they've been having conversations. And the ITA has actually been trying to facilitate those. So part of how our organization, Christy, is organized, in addition to our board of directors, which is set up like a corporate board or a top-not-for-profit board. We also have five division operating councils where tennis-specific uh, decisions are made. So NCAA, 1, 2, and 3, NAI, and Junior College have those uh, operating committees. And so those have been very active over the last couple months as well. Uh, the ITA, for example, is trying to launch our summer circuit. We're trying to be one of the first sports showing how tennis uh, can be a a safe social distancing sport. We're also trying to make sure that things are ready to go in the fall. Obviously, everybody's waiting to see about college football, but we're trying to use this time to not only uh, do scenario planning, but to be proactive about the future.
1: That's great. I, I I love the the collaboration there, and I even made a, myself a note to learn more about the ICAC and sort of. It sounds like the collaboration you have across sports um, with those coaches from other sports too, who obviously are are keeping a close eye on what's happening.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have the greatest admiration. I mean, people like Kathy DeBoer's been running the uh, volleyball association, the American volleyball coaches for almost 20 years she was one of the first people I sought out when I took this job guys like Rob Kehoe and soccer uh, everybody's dealing with this and everybody's got their own set of challenges but we're also much like our individual coaches we're trying to function as a support best practice group across the 20 uh, Olympic sports
1: I'll, I'll leave you with one question that I know is a little bit of a look into the crystal ball kind of question, but you have your pulse on this as much as probably even more than I do. Where do you think we're at right now in terms of sports getting cut? You know, Do you think we've seen the worst of it? Do you think there's more still to come? Um, you know, What are you sort of hearing or what are you planning for?
0: Yeah, happy to take a, a shot at that. Uh, if I could be a uh, a, a futurist we would probably make more money in the stock market, <laughs> but uh, I've actually tried to think like a, a futurist. One of the people I like to read uh, for years, I don't know if people follow Faith Popcorn, who calls herself a futurist, uh, so I try to think like a futurist, and, and it's, it's a wonderful uh, question. I, I would say a couple of things. One, I think the worst day of a college athletic administrator's life is the day that they have to cut sports Mm -hmm. and to tell these student athletes who love to compete they're not only just there for their education which they do get but they love to compete i think it's a terrible day so i don't think anybody relishes the idea of of cutting sports Uh, part of the thesis of my response to athletic director you was i encouraged presidents and ad's not to use this as an opportunity to make uh snap decisions that they might uh regret and as much as we've been disappointed with the number of programs that have been cut i have been very pleased with the number of athletic directors and presidents who've affirmed that they're not planning to cut programs and it's actually a last possible option so i actually believe that we uh saw this uh, opportunity that some people took, some people might have been thinking of it already. Usually, Christy, when a program is cut, there's a lot of harangue around that. And I think a lot of people realized that while there was so much noise going on during this pandemic, that it might actually uh, not get to be quite as big a deal. So my crystal ball says that we might have actually seen the worst of it you know, unless the economy continues to turn south, you know, unless the NCAA's media rights don't come back for next year's basketball. You know, some of the things that I have trouble sleeping with one eye open are things like stock market crash, recession, loss of media rights. So as we kind of figure out the new normal, we're not out of the woods yet. But if we actually have a pandemic recovery and an economic recovery and sports come back strongly, I really think that athletic directors don't wanna have to cut uh, programs. So assuming health comes back to normal and the economy does, we might have seen the worst of it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I've been in on those conversations in years past, not not during the pandemic, but I've listened to athletic directors and, and other folks in athletics discuss cutting a sport or cutting multiple sports. And uh, I very much agree with you that no one relishes that and that it's a gut-wrenching decision. And I think sometimes the media portrayals of it make it sound, um, you know, more malicious than it really is because the folks I know in college athletics who've made those decisions have really tossed and turned over it and have looked for ways to keep from having to do it. Um, And and I think you're right that some people had probably already been having these discussions before the pandemic and then once it happened, it was a, a good opportunity to go ahead and do it because some of them came so fast. I mean, I had kind of thought in my head, I bet some sports are going to get cut. And all of a sudden they start getting cut. And I thought, wait, you haven't even had time to have a discussion about it. There's no. no way you decided this out of nowhere. So I do think some of those discussions were already being had. And this kind of sealed the fate for those programs. But I've also been really encouraged by how many of the programs were um, given the opportunity to fundraise, to save themselves and that we have seen get the um, you know thumbs up that they are going to get at least another year lease on life to try and make themselves more stable. And I think you're right. They've got to figure out how, no matter what sport it is, how to... Um, you know, get the coach's position endowed, get the scholarships endowed, you know, the more that you can get endowed, the less likely you are to have to have this conversation again, the next time the economy turns, like you were talking about with ASU having cut tennis and then brought it back. I mean, this isn't like it's the first time we've seen a wave of cuts happen. And so if you want to ensure that your sport isn't on the chopping block, the next time tough decisions have to be made, you know, I, I do think working towards that endowment is the way to go.
0: The one P.S. I would add, and I think you're spot on, if, if you'll indulge me just one moment. Yeah, is I, I think uh, t- to the same question, but another postscript could be, I think we all have to follow what's going on with this whole name, image, and likeness. And uh, quite honestly, uh, personally, I think that the NCAA's current proposal, it hasn't been finally adopted, but the current proposal could actually be calamitous. And and the reality is it could especially impact Olympic sports if it were done incorrectly. Uh, I think that Bubba Cunningham at the University of North Carolina is spot on with kind of calling the emperor's new clothes on this as having, you know, not wearing any because people I think are going down a very dangerous And I think there's some very smart people looking at different alternatives, but as a guy who sits in the chair at tennis and and talking to people who are dealing with other Olympic sports, I think money could end up being diverted from uh, Olympic sports to have to fulfill some of the sponsorship uh, changes that would happen if name, image, and likeness is done incorrectly.
1: And I have heard that as well. I have actually had coaches reach out to me and DM me on Twitter and, uh, you know, say that they are concerned that they're, and this was before the pandemic, that they were concerned their sport might be on the chopping block if, you know, local sponsorship money started getting diverted from the athletic department to those companies working directly with student athletes. And um, I know you're new to the podcast, but NIL has been... uh, my most frequent topic on the podcast since it started in January. It's something I have reported on quite a bit um, and done a lot of speaking on the law school circuit about, and we've had quite a few episodes um, from different angles. I had a former Clemson quarterback, Taj Boyd, who came on and talked about it from a student athlete perspective, and actually surprised me with some of the unintended consequences he brought up. He wasn't 100% on board and ready to say it was a great idea. And I I wrongly assumed that he would think that. And then he came on and brought up some really good points. Um, And then I had somebody come on and talk about potential Title IX issues they saw. Um, you know, I, I've had a couple of other folks come on and talk about how they think it's going to impact the industry. We've had social media marketers on to talk about what the market is like for student athletes. So it's one of my favorite topics. So I'm actually glad that you brought it up because I I do hear a lot of buzz from the folks I know that are coaches or involved with Olympic sports, that they're worried that it will divert money away from their programs. Um, so it's interesting that that you're hearing the same thing and have the same concern.
0: Your analysis is spot on. And if you can indulge another podcast, yeah, uh, broadcast. I, I mean, can talk about
1: should, NIL all day. So go. Well, but <laughs> I mean,
0: you, you should get Baba Cunningham, but also have him invite Paul Pogge, who works for him, who's a, a lawyer and who's actually trying to give a solution and not just complain. He's talking about things like the uniform uh, law group uh, and different uh, legal strategies. But to your point, since we've just gotten off on this a little bit, I mean, currently I think we've the potential of not only diverting sponsorship funds away from Olympic sports, but you've got agents getting involved. You've got the ability of having rich donors get involved in upending the recruiting. Uh, process. So as opposed to just complaining, I'm very impressed with what Bubba and Paul are doing and I'm actually trying to to assist because in life you not only want to identify the problem but help offer the, the solution. So there's some very smart people out there working on alternative proposals if you want to add one more podcast,
1: <laughs> Bubba Cunningham is on my uh, guest wish list. I met him the first time when he was still an AD at Tulsa, um, and my husband, my now husband, was my boyfriend back then, and we were traveling around the country, uh, going on different campuses. I write a lot about facilities, and we were going and doing these facility tours at different schools. And Tulsa, like somehow, fell in this road trip map we had put together to get from Texas. I think we were going from Texas up to St. Louis for something, and we were making all these stops along the way and went by Tulsa and met Bubba and have kept in touch with him ever since. And um, I haven't even asked him yet because I'm pretty sure if I ask him, he'll say yes. So he's on my, my guest wish list. I just had had so many NIL episodes right in a row. I was trying to give people a little bit of a break from him before I came back to it again, but he's on my wish list. And I also reached out to folks with uh, Representative Gonzalez, who is expected to bring forth the um, proposed legislation at the national level. Um, he's a former student athlete and I think has a interesting perspective on it as well. So th- those two are high on my on my wish list now that I'm kind of ready to get back to NIL.
0: <laughs> there you go. And let me just say that Tulsa is one of the great sports towns, uh, uh, not only with Bubba having been there, but historically Rick Dixon and now Derek Greg, but uh, Vince Westbrook and and you look at uh, some of their great pa- patrons in the city of Tulsa, they've built incredible facilities. They've hosted the NCAA. Uh, so, so Tulsa and tennis are synonymous.
1: Oh, they have an amazing campus. I thought that was such a beautiful campus. And I remember, I think I wrote a story. This has been so long ago, obviously, because it was back when Bubba was the AD there. But I remember him telling us about a group of local philanthropists and all of the fundraising that they had done for athletics and for the university over the years. And now it's, it's been so long, I don't remember all the details of it, but I remember being so impressed by how integrated that university is into the local community in a way that you don't always see, even in small sort of college towns, you don't always see it. And I just remember being really impressed and I thought it was such a beautiful campus. So it's one my husband and I always remember fondly.
0: Yeah, well, but but it also, I think, integrates, you know, it's interesting how this wonderful conversation has has kind of morphed because it's a wonderful descriptor of everything we just talked about, about how a, a program and a sport and a college and a community can be integrated. And Michael Case, for example, is one of the uh, philanthropist you spoke about, and he's not only endowed two tennis you know, facilities, but done so much for the university. But that is the essence about how all these sports should work. You get a pac- passionate coach like Vince Westbrook, you get supportive ADs like Bubba, you embed yourself in the community, you get a philanthropist like Mr. Case. And th- this, this is how the world of Olympic sports uh, remain uh, successful, not only survive, but thrive. Yeah, so
1: that's a great case study for people to sort of go check out and learn a little more about how that works there. I agree. We I remember we, us just being so impressed when we visited there. So. I know we, we got a little off course with people, but hopefully I, I still enjoyed it. So hopefully everybody else enjoyed, uh, will enjoy listening. Um, and I so appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I, I knew I wanted to have somebody come on and talk tennis and you and I had not connected previously, but uh, I hope we're, we're able to stay in touch because I feel like I learned a lot and I'm sure I still have a lot more left to learn.
0: Well, congratulations on everything you're, uh, you're doing and it was just a great uh, joy and pleasure and privilege uh, to be with you.
1: Thank you again to Tim Russell of the ITA for joining us here on the Business of College Sports podcast today. I know that I learned a lot more about college tennis and gave me some more food for thought when it comes to programs being cut and things that programs can do to put themselves in a better position moving forward. So hopefully you all enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Now, before I leave you, you know, I love to give you a business tip. So I have got a business tip for you that I already teased a little bit earlier in the episode. So here it comes. Okay, today's business tip of the day is about doing a health check for your business. I love this idea that Tim mentioned from how the ITA is helping coaches uh, navigate these sort of uncertain times in the financial challenges that they are facing. And so it did make me think about how you could do a health check on your own business. And I mentioned some of these ideas in the interview, but I would ask yourself things like about your social media for example, you know, are you steadily increasing in followers? And I say steadily because it doesn't have to be a hundred followers a day, it could be one or two followers a day, or maybe it's 10 followers a week, or you know whatever sort of growth, as long as you are seeing some consistent growth. I would also ask yourself, are you consistently posting on social media in order to see that consistent growth? And are you getting the engagement rates that you want to get on social media? I mentioned email newsletters. Are you consistently adding people to your email newsletter? Maybe you don't even have one yet and the health check is really a reminder that you need to set up an email newsletter. Maybe you need to set up your lead magnet or your freebie, that sort of juicy thing you offer people to get them to give you their email address. And then are you sending it out consistently? And if you are what are your open rates like what are your click-through rates like are you looking at that data and information that's likely available in your email service provider i use active campaign but i've previously used convertkit and mailchimp you yeah, they all give you some level of analytics so are you really looking at those analytics and figuring out ways that you can improve them You know, other areas of health check would be things like lead generation. You know, are you getting the leads you need for your business? you know, of those that come in the door, you know, whether it's filling out a form or they're getting on the phone with you, what is your close rate? And are you getting enough business in the door? I think those are important things to ask yourself. You know, if you're not seeing what you want, then what are your marketing channels? I think that part of the health check would be, how are you marketing? How many different places are you marketing? Who are you marketing to? You know, and really asking yourself questions about whether or not you've got essentially enough bait in the water to catch those leads that you need. So as much as it's difficult to give one size fits all kind of advice to everyone, I would just to encourage you to sit down and make your own health index. Decide what what things you need to be paying attention to and measuring in your business and make yourself a checklist and even grade yourself what would you give yourself for your email marketing what grade would you give yourself you know what grade would you give yourself for your social media marketing what grade would you give yourself for your lead generation what grade for your close rate you know Sit down and ask yourself those questions. And in the areas where you feel weak, seek out help for those areas. You know, for me, uh, the finances of my business are a weak spot for me. Um, I'm very much a head in the sand. As long as there's enough money in the bank account to cut payroll every month and pay all of our expenses, I'm happy. <laughs> um, but I need to be paying more attention to my finances, particularly I've gotten the PPP loan and now the EIC ideal loan and I'm having to track what that's being spent on because there's a lot of restrictions around using that money. And so I've decided to hire a virtual CFO who's going to help me look through my numbers and figure out where I could be more efficient or where I'm spending too much money or not enough money and look at my business from this really holistic perspective in terms of finance and how well I'm leveraging the money that we do have. So I encourage you to really sit down and grade yourself on the areas you decide are relevant for your business and be really honest about it. And where you've got those weak spots, find somebody who can help you get better at those weak spots, even if it's painful. I can tell you I'm terrified of working with this CFO. I think it's gonna be horrifically painful, but I know that it's necessary and that my business isn't gonna grow if I don't do that. So I encourage you to to make your own health index. I'd love for you to share it with me and tell me what you came up with. Maybe you think of categories I didn't think of. You can direct message me on Twitter at SportsExperience. Biz miss, or you can email me, Christy at Christy.com. I would love to hear from you. And if you've got time to head on over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and rate and review and subscribe. I would appreciate that. That will help us get in front of more listeners and really grow the business of college sports network. So as always, I am grateful to you for spending some time with us. I appreciate it. Reach out. Let me know what you want to hear more about, and I will have some great guests coming up with you, uh, coming up for you in the coming weeks.